0: What can wash away my sin? That's the question that we're going to be dealing with this morning. It's really a question that every religion and every person in the world has tried to answer at some point and in some way. Maybe we don't call it sin, maybe we call it mistakes, maybe we call it mess-ups, maybe we try to give some other name to it, but Every person and every religion in the world is trying to answer this question. We've all done some things that we're just not proud of and that we wish that we could undo. We wish that they could just be washed away. If you're like most people, there's probably a chapter in your life that you'd like to just totally erase or maybe be able to go back and do over. Uh, It might be as far back as high school. Maybe it's as far back as college. Maybe it's a recent relationship. Maybe it's just one weekend that you did some things that you're just really, really not proud of whatever it is, we all have those areas in our life. We've all made some bad decisions that we look back on and maybe we can laugh about or maybe we wish that we could laugh about because I think for many of us, we have some memories that will never really elicit anything but shame and regret. And that shame and regret can lead us to avoid people or things or situations that remind us of that thing, that we did. Maybe we never go back to that town or that state. Maybe we never go drive down that street. Maybe we avoid that person and anyone that's related to them. Whatever it might be, we try to avoid anything that reminds of us of that time. We avoid eye contact anytime anything that's brought up that might remind us of it. Every religion and every faith system in the world is trying to answer this question, because we've all got this God-given conscience that tells us that we are sinners, It tells us that we have done something wrong, and we're trying to figure out, how can we take care of that? What do we do about it? There's a few things we sometimes try to do to deal with that lingering guilt and shame. We might try to dumb down our dumb decisions by comparing them to other people's dumb decisions, right? And that might make us feel better for a few minutes, but it doesn't really deal with that pain. Maybe there's the, well, nobody's perfect approach. And, you know, I'm not perfect, but nobody's perfect. So I'm just uh, like anybody else. And while that's true, it, again, doesn't really help with the pain. doesn't really get rid of that guilt or that shame. Sometimes we use coping mechanisms that help us ignore the pain, at least for a few minutes. But they don't, it doesn't wash away the past mistakes and our past sin our guilt our shame. At the end of the day, that's what we all need, something that's actually going to wash away our sin. Maybe this is, for you, felt rather uncomfortable because it surfaced some memories that you work really, really hard to keep hidden, that you work really hard to just forget about. And you might find yourself asking, why, why are we talking about this? Why do we need to even bring this up? Well, here's why. Moving forward in your faith journey may require some looking back. And while that can be painful, it can also be extremely liberating. Addressing that lingering shame and regret and guilt can lead to a uh, lifting a weight off of your shoulders that you may not have even realized was crushing you, just pushing you into the ground. And so here's our first big truth for this morning. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. Experiencing personal forgiveness for personal sin is often the starting point for personal faith. It's impossible to move very far on our faith journey without finding forgiveness. Our shame, our guilt, our, our sin, it's got to be dealt with somehow. And you've been carrying around the weight of that guilt, and it's it's a pretty unbearable weight, isn't it? crushes us down. You aren't going to get very far with shame weighing you into the ground, pushing you down farther and farther. And so where can we find that forgiveness? Where is it to be found? Well, I want to turn with you to Mark chapter 1 to find that answer. We're going to be going to a couple of different passages today, but we're going to start in Mark chapter 1. And there's a guy named John the Baptist who had a really profound following in Jesus' day. And I want to look at how Mark describes him In again, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 4. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So we've got this guy named John who is actually addressing this question, what can I do with my sin? And apparently all the people of Judea and Jerusalem went out to see him. Now Mark is probably exaggerating to make a point, but the point is that there was a lot of people that were going out to see John. There was probably hundreds, probably thousands of people that were constantly just day after day going out to see John. He had a major, major following. He was probably a guy who would be uh, twending, uh, trending on social media for sure, uh, probably at least as much as uh, Travis Kelsey when he started dating Taylor Swift. Um, is, that, is that too soon? But um, he was a guy who was really, really popular. Um, he had this huge following, and John had people coming up to him and asking if he was the long-awaited messiah. You see, the Jews had been told that there was going to be somebody that was going to come and was going to deliver them. And so they were like, there's there's so many people following this guy, maybe he is the one. John says, no, I'm not the one. There's someone coming after me who is the one. And, And here's how he talks about it in John chapter 1, verse 26. John told them, I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. And so John is saying, this is not about me. I'm not the important one here. There's someone coming soon who this is, in fact, about. And so the people would be asking, okay, so who is it, John? If you are not the Messiah, then who is it? We need to know. Hop down to verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John says to this big crowd around him, this massive crowd that had come to him thinking maybe he was the solution to their sin problem. Maybe he was the Messiah. Maybe he was the one who could finally deliver them. John says to this crowd, Look look to Jesus. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that, that term, Lamb of God, it might not mean a whole lot to us sitting here this morning, but to John's hearers, lambs meant something. Because lambs had been sacrificed for hundreds, even over a thousand years to cover for their sin. Under the Old Testament law, that's what you had to do when you sin. You had to go to the priest and they would kill a lamb and the blood of that lamb would atone or cover their sin. And so when John said the lamb of God, what he's referring to is that Jesus would be the sacrifice that would deal with their sin. But Jesus' sacrifice is actually way better than the sacrifice of the lamb, because again, that, that lamb could only cover their sin. But notice what John says that Jesus does. He takes away the sins of the world. He doesn't just cover them up. He doesn't just atone for them. He takes away the sins of the world and that word actually means that it, to lift up and carry off. Again, it's beyond just a covering because I don't want just my guilt like covered. I want it gone, right? Like I don't want to have to deal with it anymore. I want it totally gone and John is saying that Jesus is the one who's going to take up. He's going to lift off and carry away our guilt and our shame and our sin. Jesus is the one We lift up and carry off the sins of the world. Notice that. It doesn't just say the sins of Jews. It doesn't just say the sins of good people. It doesn't just say the sins of religious people. It doesn't just say the sins of people who have it all together. He says the sins of the world. And what that means is that regardless of how you came in here today, your sins can be lifted up and carried off no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from this morning, your sins can actually be lifted up and carried off, totally removed from you because of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Jesus came to be our sacrifice for sin so that you can walk through life without your sin and your shame and your guilt just weighing you down, crushing you further and farther into the ground with that incredible weight. I went on a uh, canoe trip in the Canadian wilderness uh, two weeks ago, and we were in the woods for about four and a half days. And we had everything uh, on our backs or in our canoes that we needed for that entire time. And it's just woods and lakes and rivers up there. And so what you do is you uh, paddle across the lake, and you get to the end of the lake, and you get to what's called a portage, which which is where you just land to get to the next lake. And so you throw your pack out of your canoe, you put that on, you pick up your canoe, you put that on your shoulders, and you just walk across land. Uh, until you get to the next lake or river and then you put the canoe down and you just keep going. That's what you do for uh, four and a half days is you're just traveling through the middle of nowhere. It's beautiful up there. No cell reception. I saw about two human beings that weren't with our uh, party the entire time. Um, It was just a great Time. But as you're doing that, it's called portaging. As you're walking across land, you've got your pack on your shoulders, you've got your canoe on your shoulders. And there was, there was one portage on the first day uh, that was about a mile and a half. It was the longest one for the week. And uh, I was carrying the canoe for that portage. And I remember um, the first, like, maybe 100, 200 feet feeling like, you know what? I can do this. Like, I feel, I'm feeling pretty okay. Uh, and then after about a quarter mile all that weight just starts to press into your shoulders, and it just hurts like nothing else. And it just feels like somebody is just trying to uh, squash you into the ground. Even if you've got your pack properly adjusted, which means that most of the weight's supposed to be on your hips, um, which mine I don't think was that day, so that was a great idea. Um, but even if you've got most of the weight right here, just that weight on your shoulders can feel crushing. It can feel like somebody's just got their thumb on you and they're just trying to squash you into the ground. I think some of us, I think many of us, walk through life kind of like that. We walk through life with the weight of our guilt and our shame just weighing us down, pressing us into the ground farther and farther. And we try all kinds of things to get rid of that weight, but we find ourselves just... Weighed down time and time again. Much later in Jesus' ministry, he comes back to this idea of carrying away our sin. It's in Luke chapter 22. He was, right before he went to the cross, he was celebrating the Passover meal with his Disciples. And the Passover meal was designed to celebrate when God passed over uh, the Israelites' home, and the angel of death did not visit them when he was delivering them out of Egypt. Brett talked about that a little bit last week and how that's what uh, the Passover meal is really designed to celebrate how God had delivered them from Egypt and how God had delivered them from this angel of death. And Jesus comes along and he uh, really takes this Passover meal and he applies it to the sacrifice that he is about to make on the cross. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 19. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So Jesus says that the Passover is no longer about God delivering you from Egypt. This is now about me. This is no longer about the blood of a lamb on a doorpost. This is about the sacrifice I'm about to make, how I am the lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. And that would have felt very, very uh, sacrilegious and wrong to his disciples. They were good Jews who had grown up every single year celebrating the Passover and knowing what it was supposed to be about. And so that would have felt pretty shocking to them. It'd be a little bit like if uh, this December I said to you, you know what? Christmas this year is no longer going to be about celebrating Jesus' birthday. Christmas this year is going to be about celebrating my birthday. Christmas is now about celebrating how David Wyman came into the world. And all of you would hopefully start sharpening your pitchforks um, because that's, just, that's not okay, right? That's not, that, would be, that would feel so wrong, and that's how radical Jesus' claim would have felt to these Jews it celebrated the Passover year after year. They likely um, didn't understand all of what he really meant by it, but it would have been a major shock to them, but yet they knew, as the Son of God, he had every right to make this claim. Jesus said, "My body and my blood are going to be the sacrifice for your sins, so that you can find freedom. No longer do you have to sacrifice a lamb. I am going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins." Of the world, and Jesus had already, on multiple occasions, uh, rocked the boat in some major ways by saying that he had authority to forgive sin. The Jews knew that only only God had authority to forgive sin, and now he's actually saying he is the sacrifice for sin. That, that's a pretty big claim to make. You see, every faith tradition is uh, trying to offer an answer to the question of how to be right when you've done wrong that's really what every religion is about but christianity is is alone in the fact that Jesus is the only one who himself said i am the solution i am the one who can take care of your sins i am the sacrifice for sin everyone else wants you to do a certain list of things but jesus says no 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 it's me i'm the solution and anyone who says that is either insane they're lying or they're correct, and we need to pay attention to what they're saying. And so, our second big truth this morning is this. Jesus doesn't just have a solution for your sin. He is the solution. Jesus doesn't just give you some good advice on how you can handle your sin. He actually says, I'm going to fix it for you with my sacrifice. He doesn't give you a 10-step plan for you to then go out and solve your own sin issue. He doesn't say, do all this work, get your act together, that will help you solve your sin. He's not telling you how to fix your problem. He's saying that he already has fixed it for you because you could not do it on your own. And that's why he came, to be the sacrifice for sin. And all you have to do is accept that by faith, to turn from your sin and trust in what he has done for you. Religion will give you a bunch of stuff to do in order to find forgiveness. and Maybe that's been your experience. You went to church and you felt like you were given this like, laundry list of, of things that you had to do. But Jesus is turning all that on his head by saying that he is the sacrifice for sin. No longer do we need to do something. No longer do we need to kill a lamb to try and cover our sin because he is the lamb of God. takes away, lifts up and carries off the sin of the world. Paul in Colossians chapter 2 kind of goes on to describe what this looks like. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. Not some of them, all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That's actually the same word that's used in John for lift up and carry off. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. And so if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, the record of charges that was against us has been canceled totally canceled. There's no uh, more charge to pay. It's not like he paid some of it and you have to make up the rest. It's not like he paid for most of it and you've got to find a way to cover up the last bit that's left. All of it has been canceled. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been totally forgiven, totally dealt with if you are a follower of Jesus. It's done. It's finished. It's been paid for. There's nothing left for us to do to find forgiveness. He's done all of it. Regardless of what you've done, where you came from, your sin can be totally, completely forgiven because of the Lamb of God. But I think sometimes we have a hard time letting go of that guilt and that shame. Maybe we know, like, theologically that we can be forgiven, but there's some part of us that still almost wants to carry that guilt around with us. I think sometimes we think that guilt is like this necessary part of a religious experience. In fact, sometimes we think that the more guilty we feel, the more godly that we are. maybe we'll go to church or something like that and we'll hear this message and it makes us feel guilty and then we'll somehow feel better for having felt guilty. It's almost like this weird circle that our cycle that we have of, uh, I don't know if we just think that that's how we like maybe pay for our sins. Like surely God wants us to feel bad about our sin. And so we ought to feel this incredible guilt and shame is kind of how we think. We feel like maybe it's our punishment. We just can't seem to forgive ourselves. But here's here's what we need to understand, and this is our, our final big truth for this morning. You don't have to forgive yourself, because yourself has already been forgiven. And for those of you who are really particular about grammar, yes, I know that's incorrect. You, you have already been forgiven. You don't have to walk around with guilt and shame because Jesus died in your place for your sins to take care of your sin and your guilt and your shame from your sin. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's already been taken care of. You don't have to forgive yourself. You've already been forgiven. And here's the thing. If, if God has said that you are forgiven, but you still think that you need to do something in order to earn forgiveness, then you have a higher standard than God does. Which means that you are putting yourself in a higher authority than God is. You think that you know better than he does. If God has said that we are forgiven as followers of Jesus, we need to work to accept that as true and actually begin to believe it and live like it. Because if we've been forgiven, then we need to stop trying to work to earn what we've already been given in Jesus. I think for many of us as followers of Jesus, what can happen is as we've been following him for a while, we can start to walk through life trying to somehow still make up for our sins. Like we might know theologically they've been forgiven, they've been taken care of, but there's some part of us in our everyday, day-to-day lives that's just motivated to say, you know, I've done some bad things, I need to make up for it, and so I need to obey in order to earn some kind of standing or some kind of status before God. And I think God is up in heaven saying, what are you doing? I already paid for that. Jesus already paid for that. You don't have to do that. Just walk in the freedom that he died to give you. At the end of that longer portage on the wilderness trip I mentioned, I can remember thinking that it would feel so amazing to put that canoe and that pack down. And it felt pretty good. I'm not going to lie. It felt pretty awesome. But at the same time, I was surprised to find when I set them down that my shoulders still hurt a lot. They still learn a whole lot. It still actually for like five minutes, almost felt like there was still this weight on my shoulders, even though there was nothing there. The weight had been removed. And I think sometimes our guilt and our shame can have that kind of lingering phantom pain that takes some time to heal. It takes some time to work through, and in that time, what we need to do is to keep coming back to Jesus and asking him to help us, help uh, heal us so that we don't go back to that old cycle of shame and guilt and trying to make up for our sin and trying to do uh, all these things to earn some sort of status before God, just saying, Jesus, you've taken care of that guilt. You've lifted up and carried off all my sin, all my shame, all my guilt. Help me to actually believe that, And to live like it today. Instead of trying to earn forgiveness, we should see our our service, our obedience as a response of gratitude to the fact that we have been forgiven. It's not that we're trying to earn something. It's just that we're so overwhelmed that we've been given the greatest gift there is. We've been given forgiveness. We've been given life with Jesus. That's the greatest gift there is. And now we get to just live in response to that. Live out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. So, coming back to our question, what can wash away my sin? Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the only one who can actually wash away our sin, not just cover it up, not just deal with the pain for a few minutes and try and ignore it, but actually wash it away, totally removed, totally gone. But the question this morning is if you've let him take away your sin or if you are still trying to cover it up on your own, you're still trying to do things to earn or to find that forgiveness or that standing before God. So my question for you is, what's standing in the way of you accepting God's forgiveness through Christ? What is standing in the way? What needs to happen for you to make Jesus your forgiver and your leader? It's not God. He's already made a way. It's not your sin. Jesus can take care of that. The invitation is open to all. And what is holding you back from making that decision today? And I would ask you, if you are ready to talk with someone before you leave this morning, this is too important to wait. This is too important to say, I'll get to that later but if you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus, you've already accepted that gift, I think the question can still stand for us because have we actually accepted that forgiveness or do we still feel like we need to do something in order to earn it, in order to actually have good standing before God? I think 1 John 1, 1.9 is one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness doesn't say he might forgive us. doesn't say if we do all these things and, and make ourselves right before God, then he'll forgive us. It says he says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And so as followers of Jesus, when we sin, we need to come back and uh, forgive, or ask, for, for, ask for forgiveness and believe that we've actually been given it. It's been taken care of. We don't have to do anything any longer. So my final question, for if you're a follower of Jesus, is are you living like you are forgiven? Do you walk around celebrating the fact that you've been forgiven or is there still some part of you trying to do something in order to make it right on your own strength and your own ability? What's your motivation for obedience? Is it gratitude or is it trying to earn something? Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away, he lifts up and carries off the sin of the world. So no matter who you are, where you came from, your shame, your guilt, your sin, that pain, that weight, it can actually be lifted up lifted up, and carried away. And you can walk away in freedom. This week, I, I hiked a mountain and I can remember multiple times as I was on my way up this mountain thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not carrying a pack and a canoe up this mountain. It felt so free. I felt like I could have ran up half of it um, because I didn't have all that weight just crushing me down. And that is the kind of freedom that Jesus died so that you and I could have he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, if you need to have a conversation with somebody today, please do that. Don't wait. Let me pray as we close our service. Father, we are thankful that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that he is the one who takes away our sin. We've been trying to, many of us for many years, try to deal with our sin on our own. We try to cover it, try to get rid of it, try to medicate it, we try to do things to ignore it or the, the, ignore the weight, the pain of that shame and that guilt. We try to distract ourselves with all kinds of things to cover it up and none of it worked. What we need is for our sin to be lifted off and carried away. And Jesus is the one who made a sacrifice with his life so that we actually could find that forgiveness. Father, thank you so much that you loved us enough to send Jesus to be our sacrifice for sin. I pray for any here that have not yet accepted that free gift, that today would be the day that they have a conversation with somebody and make Jesus their forgiver and their leader. And God, for all of us who are followers of you, I pray that we would live every day overwhelmed with the fact that you would love us enough to forgive us that we would just be so thankful that would motivate everything that we do. Not, not trying to earn anything, not out of some sort of guilt or shame, but we're just so grateful for what you've done for us that we want to live in response to that and give you our very lives as a way to say thank you. What better way to live? Gotta pray that we would be a church that does that. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.